All right, you guys, if you do need a Bible, um, we've, we've got some extras on the front table. Uh, feel free to grab one, and as, as usual, uh, if you don't own a Bible, um, man, take one of those and take it home with you. Uh, we'd love to invest that uh, in you. We're in Genesis um, chapter 26. Um, we've, been, uh, we've been going through Genesis for about a year now, and we probably have about nine or ten months left. Uh, to, to get through Genesis, and I've been praying through what we're going to do next. Um, Romans has been heavy on my mind, uh, and I just ask you guys to, to, to pray, because it's going to be, where, wherever we go next, it's going to be a long journey as well, um, but I might, I might do a short stint of 1 Peter uh, before, before we hit, uh, hit Romans, if that's what God leads. Um, 1 Peter is, talks a lot about how Christians are called called to be to suffering and um, uh, more and more we see that there's so many difficulties trials persecutions that happen in life it's important that we have a solid biblical theology of suffering that we we're not going towards a prosperity theology we're not going towards a comfort theology but rather we go to a cross theology that says I take up my cross and I follow Jesus um, on a daily basis and so we just expect that taking up a cross is something that is very difficult, that Jesus is one that his sales pitch is come and die, and we say, I'll buy, you know, I'm with you, and uh, so it's important we go through that. Uh, so considering going through First Peter, uh, again, that's about 10 months away probably. Um, this story that we're in today, um, we're, we're seeing, we're seeing um, how Isaac lapses into some of the sins of his dad, uh, Abraham. And this is something that happens commonly in, in my life and in, in your lives. Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, we, we, we see the things that were modeled uh, in, in our lives um, uh, by family, and we end up repeating a lot of this. Uh, so let's jump in. Um, chapter 26 of Genesis. Now there was a famine in the land because, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Um, this, just quickly to, to understand Abimelech, Abimelech, um, the, the, ter- the term itself, Abimelech, means my father is king. We, we talked about this with Abraham before. Just as a reminder, uh, Abimelech most likely was not his name because the Abimelech that Abraham dealt with was probably about a hundred years before this. So it's probably uh, the old Abimelech's son or possibly even his his grandson and the term Abimelech most likely was a title just like Pharaoh was passed on from Pharaoh to Pharaoh Abimelech within these these early Philistines um, the uh, it was probably the title that was given to him um, we are peering into ancient civilization uh, through this story and 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 I don't know if 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 you remember when you were looking at ancient ancient history uh, in, in school, in high school, or maybe in college, um, maybe even middle school, but uh, you, you, you learn about how these city-states just started appearing, and they, they, just, they just had to guard themselves against one another, and it was ruthless, it was barbaric what happened, the way that they had to kind of circle the wagons around one another, and, and as, as strangers came in, you had to protect yourself, you had to make sure, you know, what is the intention of this person? Or specifically, if someone moves in and they're powerful and they got a bunch, they got a whole entourage that comes with them. It's like, all right, what's going to happen here? And that's exactly what's going on, going on here. 
Um, verse 2 says, The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Now, what we have here is God's intervening and He's, he's, he's telling Isaac, say, Okay, look, I see where you're going. I see what your plan is. You're headed to Egypt. Because when famine comes, people go to Egypt. When hard times come, people go to Egypt. Um, we, we see this. Um, we see this. Abraham did this. Later on, even past Isaac, Jacob and his, Jacob's sons, they're going to go to Egypt when there's that huge seven-year famine. Uh, even later, Joseph and Mary, after they had Jesus, they will escape to Egypt. There were a lot of good reasons for them to go there. It was a place that was very fertile because of, because of the Nile Delta there. And so it was a place that even during famine, this is a place where we could go and there would be crops and we could live, we could, we could have cattle. Um, we, we would not die if we went to Egypt. Um, now, I want you to remember this. Um, this is not just a man who is who's renting a U-Haul and moving his wife and two kids. This is a guy that's inherited vast wealth from his dad. Something that rarely happens. There's hardly anybody that I've, that I've met that's inherited vast wealth and companies and corporations and houses and planes and things like that. There's, that, that doesn't happen all that much where people inherit a lot. But this is the story of Isaac. He's inherited this. He, he, probably, had, he probably had hundreds of people that were in his entourage and probably had thousands of livestock. All this as a nomad. Just like his dad Abraham was. They didn't own the land, but they were believing God when he said, I'm going to give you the land. I mean, does that, put, does that bring the picture a little more clearly for you? Of just, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it's, it'd be hard enough if you're just out, out tent camping all your life with, um, you know, with your family, but when you're overseeing 50, 100 people and, and, and thousands of livestock, can you imagine the pressure? Can you imagine that? And you don't own anything except for the graveyard. That's it. It's like, well, when we die, at least we got land. And so they're, they're strangers. They're foreigners in, a land, in this land. And, and I'm telling you, um, that means that they were minorities. They're minorities. And you know what? In, in America, I'm not, I'm not a minority. The, the time in which I felt most like a minority was was when I was in, um, in Dubai. Um, when I went there on, a, on, on the way to, uh, uh, to, um, to Egypt. Hang on just a second. Um, and I remember when we were flying in, we flew through Dubai to get to... Um, to, to fly into Nairobi, Kenya, and then to get over to Mombasa, Kenya. And we went in there, and, and, and it was the cleanest, nicest airport that I've ever been in. Um, but we went in there, and, uh, I mean, everybody's got, everybody's got uh, turbans on, and, and they've got the, the proper uh, Muslim um, uh, outfits on. And the ladies, I mean, they're all veiled up, and they're, they're all brown to, to dark brown as far as skin and we're walking around you know with our with our jeans and our shorts and sandals and stuff like that and we we really stuck out like a sore thumb and uh it was it was at that time i mean i could just i just kind of felt i was like yeah this is 
this is different. This is, this is strange. We've got some, some folks who they've just come back from East Asia. We had, uh, there's a couple of different uh, teams of people that they were over there. And, and they just talk, talk about how they're over there. And it's like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm a minority. But for many of us, you know, we're white Anglo-Saxons. Um, here in America, we're not the minority. And though it's, it's kind of easy for us to just to say, well, man, everybody's got the same opportunity. and Everybody's got the same chance. You know what? That's really not the case. And it's, it's easy for us to say that. And unfortunately, I and we can be pretty callous sometimes in our insens- being insensitive to people that are minorities, people that are maybe foreigners in a country. Well, imagine this. It's not their country. He's got all this entourage of people. And he is, he's now been told, don't pass through. Don't keep going uh, to Egypt. You need to stop here. And, and I don't know if he knew the stories of, uh, of what happened with his dad and his, his mom and, and when, when they met Abimelech before, um, or the Abimelech a hundred years before. But they probably had. They probably heard, man, it just things were really bad. I mean, there, there's probably... I don't, I don't know how... how um, how clear Abraham was in confessing his sin, confessing his cowardice in the way that he, he treated Sarah and what he allowed you know, with the old Abimelech back then. I don't know how much he shared, but I bet at least he was like, man, that was a dark spot in my life. Son, we, we just gotta, we've got to be courageous. And, um, and we're going to come back to that just as far as sins of our fathers, and mothers, how they how they can revisit us. Um, but here it is, and, and he's, he's, he's fearful. He, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do. Um, but let me, let, me just, let me just take a step away, though, for just a second and, and talk about what it, means, what it means to make big decisions like this for, for lots of people. Um, this, what he did was more like moving a company or even a, a whole corporation. Leaders are, are decision makers. And, and if, if you're a leader, you know that. If you aspire to be a leader, then you need to know that. Leaders are people that they make decisions. Now, how good of a, de- of, of a leader they are uh, will be based on how they go about making those decisions and where they get their counsel. Um, good leaders listen to the people that are around them that are on the journey with them. I'm so grateful that God has surrounded me and, and Eric with, with godly men and godly women that, that you hear from God as well. Um, man, it would be foolish of us to think that we have all the answers as, as the pastors or that God's going to give us all the answers. He's going to give us all the strategies. That's just arrogance if we believe that. Rather, it's beautiful because God speaks through you. He speaks to you and through you. And, and being informed by you as a church is, is so important. To inform you and to be informed by you. And as we go forward, and I mean, sometimes our ideas, it's like, man, we, get, we have ideas. It's like, well, let's put them all on the table and let's see what God says. And some of them we're going to say, wow, good idea, but we're not going to go there. Other times it's like, hey, good idea, but it's not the right timing. Other times it's going to be, hey, great idea, let's roll. Or, let's, or great idea, let's strategize now. Or let's go. And it's just beautiful that we can, we can be in a gracious family that, that we can pursue those things. But again, good leaders will listen 
to the people that are with them on the journey. Great leaders will listen to God first as well as the people that are with them on their journey. And, and another just kind of maxim of leadership is leaders not, not only make decisions, leaders make the hard decisions. They pull triggers. They, they press forward. The opposite trait is to avoid decision making. Um, we, we, have, we have Netflix. We, we, to, we cut off cable a while back for, for lots of reasons. Um, uh, but we, we cut it off and um, we ended up um, getting Netflix. And we, we, got, we got this plan that's, I think it's like eight bucks a month where we get, we get one DVD at a time that gets sent back and forth. And that's just kind of, it's just really gravy. It's like, well, who cares about that all that much? But the, the, the good thing is, is we get this instant play option uh, where there all, there's all these movies. And, and it doesn't have all the movies available. But you know what it has? It's got all the shows from the 80s. And we've been corrupting our children with the A-Team and the Greatest American Hero and Gilligan's Island. And man, it's just, it's just, it's just a beautiful mess. MacGyver, you know, and it's, just, it's, it's great. You know, all these things where it's like you got all these bullets flying, but they never hit somebody, you know? They just had bad aim in the 80s, I guess. But they, they love it. And, and, and recently I put in the queue a, um, a documentary on the Civil War, and I've gotten, I mean, it's long, you know, but I, I got about a third of the way through, and just a, a really interesting documentary done by the Civil War. One of the things that happened during uh, the Civil War, the Union General George McClellan um, was was in command. And this was a guy that was afraid to make big decisions. Um, President Lincoln ordered him to attack Richmond, Virginia, and this was early on in the war, and he refused. He refused to do it. And there's many historians that they, that they speculate that the war might have been over in a few months if he had made that hard decision instead of it dragging on for years. Leaders make the hard decisions. And again, the good leaders will make decisions that they're being informed by the people that are around them. The great and the greatest leaders will seek God. They'll seek the Scripture and the people that are around them, the people they're in community with to make their decisions. You say, well, well Dave, I, I'm, not, I'm not a leader. You know what? I, I, just, I would challenge you on that. I, I bet you are. You, just may, you may not be leading a corporation you may not be a, a dad or a mom at this point, but there are people that you influence. And, and one of the other most well-known maxims for leadership is leadership is influence. Because uh, obedience is great. Obedience is I go in the right direction. Leadership is I'm going in the right direction and I'm inviting people to go with me. And people come. You know, um, Let's see, what's, uh, I may mess this one up, but uh, somebody once said, if you, think, if you think you're a leader and no one's following you, you're simply out for a walk. You know? So you're not really leading if people aren't being influenced and aren't, aren't following you. And, uh, and that's something that you know, we have to pray through and grow through um, and become good leaders. And one of the things that's huge for us at Sojourn is we want every man to be raised up to be a leader. Um, for sure that as God... God has a destiny for most men to be husbands and, and for many of those men to, to be dads. That you're a leader and a pastor over your family and to invest in you to say, what does it mean? What does it mean to lead? Ladies as well. You're called to lead 
alongside your husband within the family, leading the, leading the children, leading other ladies, speaking into community, being a part of, of proclaiming the things of, of God. And, and so it's important that we press in and, and we just say, all right, I don't just want to be a leader. I don't want to just be a good leader. I want to be a great leader that follows Jesus and listens to people that are with me um, along for the journey. We make the hard decisions. There was a famine that was going on. Um, and sometimes there's famines in your company if you're a leader. I know we have some people here, maybe some people listening to this, that you're in charge of an organization. You're in charge of, of a business or nonprofit organization. And sometimes there's a famine that comes within, within your business and you've got you've to take drastic measures. Um, and some, sometimes you've gotta, you have to move. Or maybe you have to move for, for a while. You may have to sell a building. Um, you may have to, to make the really hard decision to downsize. And that's, that's hard, especially if you've got a, a heart that, that you want to lead your people well. And, and you know that, okay, it's not just a job, but it's a calling. That every person, every Christian is a minister. And if you're a leader in a business or an organization, that, that you, you say, man, the people are important and we want to bless the people. And when it comes to like, we've got to downsize, we have to fire some people, it's just a very difficult thing. There's just, just a lot of friction in there of like, how do I do this? How can I bless the whole company knowing that we have to downsize or, or whatever it means to have to do that? But sometimes you have to make those hard decisions. Sometimes you've got to move your headquarters. Sometimes you may have to gain new investors, which means that you may lose a little bit of the control or some of the control over the, the partnership or or the company that you have. Sometimes it means that you may have to get rid of losing products or losing services. And it's like, you know what? We've got to be lean and we've got to be mean. We've got to get rid of it. You make the hard decision. Sometimes there's fam- famine in your family. You know, what, what are you going to do next? Where should we live? You know? Where should we have a house? And, and I want you to know that having a house is one of the most important things, one of the most important decisions that you can make. We, we talk a lot about how the gospel is supposed to be central to everything and the gospel should inform us in everything that we do. And, and you ask yourself, well, how does the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ inform me of what house I'm supposed to live in? Let me tell you, God tells you to love your neighbors. And so somewhere out there, there's neighbors that God wants you to love. That's very strategic and very specific. And, and you may not have thought about it that way. But you're like, okay, God, I want to be right where you want me to be. I want to be most effective for the kingdom of God so that, so that I can be a blessing, but also so that we're blessed, blessed by others uh, in, our, uh, in, in, in the folks that we live life with. Asking where the kids are going to go to school. What church is God calling you to? And that's huge. There's, I mean, there's folks of you here, God has already called you to sojourn. There's some of you that God is going to call you to be in a covenant relationship with sojourn. There may be some of you, or even some listening to this, that God will move you to Huntsville to be a part of, be a part of building this church. But for some of you, God, God may say, okay, yeah, all right, well, I've visited, but, and, and sojourn like these folks, but man, this is, this is not, I'm just not feeling this is where it's supposed to be. Man, that's okay. We want you to be where you can be maximally effective for God's glory and for, for the kingdom of God. And we love 
We love our city. We love the churches in our city. And there's some great churches in our city. We're desperately looking for, God, for guys and, and girls that God's calling to take the mission of God forward, to, to love Jesus and to, to love com- the community and to be on mission together. Um, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You need to seek the Lord and immerse yourself in the Bible and press into biblical community. Don't be paralyzed because you don't know what step 10 is. God will show you the next step. But be courageous and take that next step. And even if it's going in a direction you're like, I don't know if I like that trajectory. Trust God. Trust God. If He reveals that next step, take it confidently. Your confidence doesn't have to be in you, but it must be in Him. Verse 3 says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oaths, the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Again, God shows up. He shows up here and, and uh, He reveals He reveals again, man, I, I, you're in the middle of a promise. You're in the middle of my covenant, Isaac. You're in the middle of my story, Isaac. You're in a safe place. Trust me. And, and uh, that's what God is, is telling you guys today. He's saying, he's saying, listen, you're in the middle of my covenant, I loved you before I made the universe. I knew you before I made the universe. I had a destiny to save you before there was a universe. I've called you to myself. Or, for some of you, I'm calling you to myself. And he says, I'm going to be with you even to death. And after death, I will glorify you. You'll never be a rebel again. You'll never turn against me. You'll never turn against others. You'll never turn against yourself. You're caught in the middle of my covenant. I've got you. You're in the middle of my story. And I'm going to tell it well. Is that, is that encouraging to anybody in here? Just to know that? It's like, man, I mean, when things, when things are tough, just to be able to say, man, I'm in the middle of the story of God. God's the author. He's the finisher of it. You know, I'm safe. And though it doesn't look like I'm safe, in fact, sometimes it's like it looks like hell and feels like hell. Well, guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is, this is all the hell that you're ever going to experience. It is. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, let me just warn you, this is all the heaven that you're ever going to have. I was talking with, with my son Blake yesterday, and, and we, were, we were coming back from, from Nashville on this powerful mission trip. Uh, that meant some of you guys were there, and, and we just thank God for for the for what God did for it. And we were we we're just we we're just talking through talking through some things. Um, and I totally forgot what I was going to say. Does <laughs> that happen to you guys too? It it probably won't come back to me. Um, there are there are important. There were important reasons on paper for Isaac to move his people to Egypt. 
um, on paper, it looked right to go to Egypt. But see, God knew the bigger picture. He knew, he knew what would happen if they went to Egypt. And, and he, doesn't tell, he doesn't tell us what they are here. I mean, Moses doesn't tell what it was that was on God's mind and on his heart for, for, him, to, uh, for him to say, don't go to Egypt, but, but stay here. And you know what? That sounds like my life. There's sometimes that, that God just says, do this and, and trust me. Obey me, son. You know? I've got you. I've got you here. And sometimes he'll he'll clarify some stuff of, of why we're to take that step. But then there's other times that man, he's just he's just gonna say, I'm gonna I'm gonna allow that to be mystery to you. I know though. I know. I know why I ordain things, I know why I allow things. Doesn't mean that life is pretty. It doesn't mean that it's comfortable. Sometimes it means things are wicked or very painful of what we walk through. But God in the story that He's telling, He says, I have something big that I'm doing and what I ordain and what I allow. We're at crossroads a lot of times and we just ask, what, what will we do? What are we going to do at that point? And sometimes we're like, we, just ask, we look at it and we're like, is there enough information? Is there enough information for me to make the decision and a lot of times when God's telling us do this and he's saying do it and you've got enough information and we come back and say well God I need a little bit more I need a few more details God because my you know my equation doesn't match up quite yet it's not I don't I don't see the beginning the middle and the end yet God can you give me some more and a lot of times he says no don't trust the equation trust me he says don't trust the circumstances. Trust me. Don't, don't put your faith in what's going on. Put your faith in me. And that you can reverse engineer that to say, don't let your faith be so affected by what you're, you're going through either. Trust me. So, Isaac settled in the Gerar. Verse 7. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he'd, been that, when he'd been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with, his, with, his, with Rebekah, his wife. Now, I'll just pause there for just a second when it says laughing. The, this Hebrew, the, the Hebrew phrase that's being, being, being put to us right here, it it suggests that there's something intimate going on, you know. Um, now, I, you know, it's kind of weird. I mean, you know, you, you got the whole story about David, you know, being able to oversee where Bathsheba was bathing, and that's creepy enough. And this is just kind of one of those things where Abimelech, you know, these leaders, they get the view of stuff. And so I, I guess maybe, I mean, if Abimelech had the biggest mansion in the city-state, then, I mean, maybe then this kind of prince-king, Isaac, maybe he had a, a, a place in there. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe he was just hanging out in, in uh, the, the local restaurant. Who knows? But, but there was something that when, that when Abimelech looked and he saw the way that this brother was hanging out with his sister, he was like, there's something fishy here. This is not, this is not, uh, this is not copacetic. All right? And so... 
Uh, he sees this happening. And so Abimelech called Isaac and he said, he says, behold, she's your wife. You know, so something, something It's more than just he told a good joke, you know, and she she laughed. Something's going on. She's your wife. And then he says, how then could you say she's my sister? Now, guys, again, this is. This is a pagan. Somebody that that was not a follower of his God. Somebody that most likely worshipped other gods. And he is confronting, he's confronting a believer and saying, hey, um, what about the old ethics morality thing, bud? What are you thinking? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this that you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. And so Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And just like the old Abimelech, the old Abimelech, God himself showed up in a dream, and he's like, you better, you better get this right, or I'm going to crush you and crush your people. And maybe, maybe he just had heard those stories himself. See, isn't it kind of interesting that most likely you had a father and a father, and a son and a son. We don't know that for sure. But it's just, it's interesting if that's the pattern. Abraham, Abimelech, father, father. Isaac, Abimelech, son, son. And so you can almost, you can almost think about them thinking about their stories that have been told about what had happened because of this God of Abraham. And so, we don't know exactly why, but I mean, but Abimelech, man, he, he sent out, he, I mean, he, he spammed the whole the whole place and said, guys, stay away from Isaac. Stay away from, from his wife. Even to the point of if you touch them, it's capital punishment that our, if we're to remain and not be swallowed up or, or, or covered in fire or, or chemicals or whatever happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, you stay away from this man and his wife. Um, Abraham, Isaac's dad, did this twice. Twice. That he lied about Sarah, Sarai and Sarah. He lied about her. You know, to try to save his his own butt. And so here we have we have Isaac doing the same thing. Um, we spent a lot of time just about uh, the last time with Abraham of what what took place. Really, just I mean, it was. I'm not going to spend a lot of time now. Uh, go back and, and listen uh, if if you desire. But I will I will just say that this was absolutely wicked and cowardly what Isaac allowed what he what he did by, by saying hey she's just my sister just to save his own life guys it is vital that we never use someone else as a commodity that's called marginalization worse it's we violate others when we do this and many times we can do that to minorities or we do it to people that have less power than us. We marginalize them. We violate them. We treat them as a commodity. And, and let me just throw this out as a warning, to, especially to young men and young women. Um, maybe to somebody that's even watching this or listening to this later on. Do not, do not use your body as a commodity. Sometimes you get to a place where you're so poor, you, got, you don't have the skills 
or you don't feel like you have the opportunity um, to get yourself ahead. You don't have the, the money. You don't have the things. And you're like, well, all I've got is my body. And you, you prostitute yourself. Quite literally or metaphorically, you sell yourself out by allowing your body just to be a commodity for others to use. And I'm telling you, Jesus loves you far too much for your body to be used as a commodity. Love the temple that He made. Love it. Love through Jesus' love. See yourself through, through God's love and how much He loves and values you. And you'll value yourself and what God wants to do in and through you. This, um, it shows us the mixed nature of our lives that we have um, because uh, in this instance, Isaac, he listened to God. He, he, he totally got the thing of don't go to Egypt, but stay in Gerar, and yet he totally missed God in another. And, and I want you to know that just because you obeyed God or you got one, the front part of a decision-making process right, it doesn't mean that you get everything else after that right. You can still totally miss God after a good decision. Please listen to me. Because there's sometimes that, man, sometimes we're just like, we're just like, man, I had my quiet time and, and I just had really good prayer time. I mean, you know, you just, sometimes you, you, know, you, can, you, can go from, you can go from having a worship experience and surrender and all of that, and you can go, you can go out and before the day's over, do some of the, one of the most wicked things. Don't think that you've, you've got it all okay just because you made a good decision hours before. Because what that is, is it's It's religion. It's saying, all right, I can coast now. And you fall asleep at the wheel. Guys, listen, there is no spiritual buffer that says, okay, you can put it on control, cruise control now and the next five decisions will be okay. You can't do that. You can't, you can't clock out of being spirit-led. Because if you do, you clock right into being self-led. And it'll, it'll get you, it'll get you uh, in a lot of trouble. And I, you know it, I know it. So keep praying, keep listening, don't get cocky because you got one right. Now here's, here's what I see jump out at this portion of the story. We see the sins, sins of our fathers. And I just ask you this, what is, it that, what is it that your dad did? Or that your dad allowed that was ugly and wicked within your family? What is it your mom did or allowed? That was, that was devastating to you? What is it that maybe an uncle or a sibling, the thing that they did that they brought into the family that you're just like, oh God, I wish, I wish that had never happened to me. Sin is so powerful. And sometimes we, we, just, we just get locked up in our sins. And, and I want you to know, in Christ there's freedom. And if you're a Christian, you have been set free from sin. Completely set free. But our problem is, we go back to the chains at times. We go back, and many times what happens, we'll live and we'll have victory in our lives. But we go back to sins of our fathers. Or sins of our mothers. Sins of our uncles and brothers. Sins of our community. They've just invaded our lives. And, and I just want you to know that God's God is way bigger 
then whatever destructive thing happened to you as a child or even as an adult, God is bigger than that. This, is, this world truly is hellish at times. But I want you to know Jesus overcame the hellishness. And He's given us, uh, he's given us Himself. And He says, though you're going to walk through suffering and trials, I'm with you. And I went through hell already for you. And whatever you go through, I've been through at a deeper level. And even whatever sin, whatever rebellion that you have, I paid for all of it. Come to me. That's what he's just saying. Jesus is saying, come to me. Jesus is the best news, you guys. He's the best news. He says, come. Come to me. Isaac, uh, Isaac did not bring up, he didn't confess this to Abimelech. He didn't go to Abimelech first and said, hey, listen, I just want you to know I sinned against you. I lied to you. This is my wife. He didn't. God intervened and somehow helped and allowed Abimelech to see Isaac sharing intimate time with Rebekah. Just like he intervened with, with Abraham and, and uh, Sarah with the Pharaoh and uh, intervened. Abraham and Sarah with, uh, with the other Abimelech. Guys, sometimes God will save you from yourself. Sometimes He does. We see that. And I'm so very grateful for that. But listen, listen to me. Sometimes God doesn't save us from ourselves. You hear me? Sometimes He will not save you from yourself. Sometimes God will have God will let you have all of you. And he will allow the fruit of yourself in charge to come. And he'll allow that to be a tutor in your life. A pointer finger to say, get away from yourself. Get off of the throne and surrender surrender to Jesus. Um it would seem that it would be a blessing for God just to give us what we want, you know? I mean, that's the way I pray a lot of times. How about you? It's like, all right, God, I want this, and I want this, and this needs to be taken care of. Could you, could you handle this too? And, oh, how about the windows, all right? You know, God, can you, can you take care of that? Um, could you just, you know, rub, rub that lamp, rub that lamp, and God pops out? Come on. It seems like it would be a blessing for God to give us what we want, but it's a curse. It's a curse for you to get whatever you want. It's a blessing when God stoops and He says, no, follow me instead of following you. And He's saying that even today. He's saying, no, don't follow you, follow me. Psalm 79, 8-13 says this, Do not remember against us our former iniquities. The NIV says, the sins of our fathers. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us For we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of Your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for Your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of Your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before You. According to Your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they taunted You, O Lord. Listen, but we, your people, 
The sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you forever. For generation to generation will recount your praise. Man, that's good. God is the one that He's He's the shepherd over us, and He will help us and deliver us. Let's move into these last couple sections. Verse 12, and Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. He didn't own this land, but they gave him the rights to, to, uh, to sow and reap. The Lord blessed him, and the man became very rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled the earth with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, of spring water the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. So they, then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. God will make room for you, Rehoboth. He'll make room for you in the land that He's called you to. Um, I, want, I want you to know that this is a text that some people will look at and they'll preach and say, listen guys, God wants you rich. God wants every one of you to be healthy and wealthy. Prosperity theology is it's, it's correct, but it's not. It's not. Because you know what? The story of the wealth, it wasn't about Isaac. It was about Jesus. God blessed and He, and he disciplined Israel through their years in a strategic fashion to prepare the way for the Messiah, for the Savior to come through them. Now, in, in a similar fashion, all that God ordains and He allows in your life is to prepare the way for the Messiah, for the Savior to come through you. For him to be his way to be prepared through you. That means when things are great and you've got abundance in your life, it's like spread the wealth. Get it out there and let the, let the gospel spread. Get it out all the, through the nations and the people that have never heard. Spread it. Let your, let your time and your energies be blessed within a, a family called a church. May you, may you seek out j- justice for those that suffer from injustice. He wants to come in and through you. Now, for most of us here in the U.S., man, we are rich. We're rich beyond measure. I mean, people that live in the projects, I'm telling you, they live better than most people in the entire world. Clean water, sewage, many of them air conditioning, you know. Uh, I'm not saying it's, it's it's the greatest and most comfortable life, but I'm just telling you, even... Many of the poor that's here in the United States, man, are we're rich and wealthy. It's, it's all relative. Some of you, God is going to make you richer than the average. Some of you, God's going to make you poorer than the average. You know what? Just say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Say, all right, God, whatever you want. Don't give me, a proverb says, don't, 
or, or is it maybe Ecclesiastes, don't give me more than I need so that I'll forget about you, but don't, don't give me less than I need so that I may steal and harm your name. God, give us what we need. Last section, big section. From, from there he went up to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have been sent away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. And so we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of God, the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and they drank. In the morning they rose early, they exchanged oaths. Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came to him and told him about the well that he dug and said to him, We found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is called Beersheba to this day. Isaac was viewed as a king that had no land, a prince, uh, even as a foreigner. He was so blessed that it took a treaty between the ruler of the city-state and him to make sure that there was peace. Guys, you may never have the wealth that, that Isaac has or had, but God will call you to be an ambassador of peace. He will cause you to be someone that brings reconciliation between God and man to people. And reconciliation between people and people. He'll bring you opportunities. He'll bring this to you to be a, be a man or woman of peace in your neighborhood, in your classroom, in the boardroom, in the factory, in, among your siblings and your family. But, but where is peace found? It's found at the altar. It's found at the altar. That's where you become and remain a man or woman of peace. Because if you try to do it in your strength, you're not, not going to be able to do it. God wants you to be a, a man, a woman of, of peace in our, in our land. Um, we talked about the sins of the fathers in this and how many times they they haunt us they they come back and our enemy will try to press them back in the very first sin of the father was the sin of adam adam and eve they rebelled against god they ushered in the human condition because they thought they knew better they thought they had a better strategy or plan for their lives and they just made it worse the way to break that sin of our first father is by complete and utter surrender to Jesus Christ. And there's some of you in here that today's probably the day you need, you need to come to complete and utter surrender to Jesus Christ and surrender to Him. There's uh, some of y'all in here that you just, you, you know that there's sins that have they've haunted you and they've, they've hounded you and you've fallen prey to them. And you need to believe more. You need to believe in God more than you trust in trust in victory. 
you hear me? If you trust God, you will have victory. If you shoot for victory, you may hit it or you may miss because you may do that in your own strength. But if you walk in Christ and in His power, you will walk in victory. If you don't, you won't. There are some things that some of you guys, you've been through, and it's, it's horrible. It's horrible the travesties that are taking place in your life, in your family. And you're like, oh God, please don't let, let that happen anymore in my life. Please don't let that happen if I have kids someday. Or if those of you have a marriage, you've got kids. God, may it not be visited anymore. And I'm telling you, Jesus brings that victory. He brings the victory. He brings it right now to be able to crush whatever it was that has brought destruction in your life. 